Yo, everybody, you're tuned in for another episode of A Newt Perspective. So good to have you listening here. Um, thankful for the support and the love and the feedback. I do apologize for the echo last week. This high-tech equipment uh, didn't check all of the boxes, and so and there was a point where the volume spiked. I probably should start listening to these things before I put them out, but I'm here, so I relive it. Um, anyway, there is a lot on the old show notes today. Uh, pray that I can get to it all. I want to start here. I lost. I, I had a lot of, took a lot of L's this week. Took a lot of L's in the stock market. Whew. Uh, portfolio went from very good to I shed half of it. Uh, probably should shed a few more shares. Um, stock market, I don't like to gamble. And then the stock market is even more depressing. So uh, at least in gambling, you know who to root for and how to root for. But the stock market, the moment a talking head starts to talk, uh, <laughs> you start to lose money. So took that L. Um, then got a text about a, a preaching friend. Um, very just solid man. Um, good brother. Always good to me. And uh, he died of a heart attack at 54. And then uh, one of my classmates um, died from the coronavirus. And so I have been juggling grief. It has put me in a very perplexing position. I did something that I've only done one other time in my entire working career. I called out. Um, I just physically couldn't do it. I, I've been sick. And so... Uh, if this if this episode of the pod sounds a little drab, it's because I feel drab. I need a good detox. Um, hopefully, when you're listening to this, I'm sitting on a boat, having caught my first fish, taking a dope behind picture to put on social media. The only reason I want to catch a fish is so that when I die, y'all can put in the last line of my obituary, he was a fisherman. I just <laughs> something about uh, I've always wanted to be able to say that, and you can't tell people you're a fisherman if you ain't never caught no fish. And so hopefully that helps me detox some. I've uh, been detoxing my Facebook and my Twitter and my Snapchat and my Instagram and my text messages. And there's people that have like text me and you ain't replying. It's because I just, I'm done with phony people. I'm done with fakeness. I'm done with people who are only there for you when they need something or when they, uh, when it's convenient to them. And I got a lot of um, things to juggle can't juggle any more people that uh, only have their best interests in mind. And I know at times it's smart to be selfish, but I, I have a habit of attracting people who I think need me. And I don't realize that um, I need me. And so I, 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 there, there are days when I need to be Anthony Newton for Anthony Newton, if that makes any sense at all. I want to apologize about last week. There was an uh, incredible echo. Um, this high-tech equipment don't really know how to work at all and when to work at all. And so I apologize for that. So let's get into it. Hey, what if I told you that protest work? Um, let's start. Let's start with that. That protesting works. People don't understand. And some of this is businesses trying to make a dollar off of the movement. Some of it is genuine and some of it is ingenuine, but it keeps the conversation uh, relevant. It's not getting stale. 
it's on the forefront here. Uh, you got stuff like Louisville, uh, the, the the city of Louisville, no not warrants gone. It's a crazy notion to me anyway, because outside of somebody flushing drugs down the toilet, um, if you got the front door and the back door secure, uh, why why don't you announce yourself? I don't know. Uh, I've never understood that. You got Nike recognizing Juneteenth as a holiday, and I think more companies will follow suit. There's a lot of people that don't know what Juneteenth is. Um but it, it's good to get that on the forefront, apparently. And this is not a political podcast. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later. But apparently the people who advised the current president of the United States didn't know what Juneteenth is and thought it would be a good idea to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma on Juneteenth for his first rally in the middle of a highly racially tentious uh, time in our country's history and that just blew my mind so awareness is good and maybe that some of those people get awareness or there's people um like walmart who covered who are who are walmart who is uncovering uh products that let's be real ethnic people black people use you know how embarrassing that is to like need something and it be locked up and the signal be hey it's because people steal. Let me tell you, I won't lie to y'all and tell y'all I've never stolen. But the first time I stole, uh, actually, I've never stolen with my black friends. Um, <laughs> and the first time I, I, I stole twice in my life. And both times were, uh, I hope the prosecutorial time frame has run out. Anthony's made a word of the week, prosecutorial. That doesn't even sound real. Um the statute of limitations, I think, is the phrase I want to use. Uh, we were young and dumb, and we needed supplies for a party, and we had fake ID, and we had money. I don't know why we did what we did. We had money, and we went and uh, stole stuff for hanging out. So we had bought beer with fake IDs, and uh, the, the only time I've stolen was twice, and they were deck of cards. And everybody in the group had something they were assigned to do. Somebody had to get ping ball balls. Somebody had to get cups. Somebody had to get the cards, that kind of stuff. And um, it's just people don't realize the stereotype that happens uh, in those settings when it comes to theft. So that's a pretty big deal uh, in Walmart when you, when you need a product for your hair uh, and you got to go get somebody else to unlock it. But the the product that other people or other ethnicities might need aren't covered. So that's pretty big for Walmart. Um, and then there's NASCAR. How about NASCAR? Left turn, left turn, another left turn. Ain't gonna lie, I used to like old uh, Jeff Gordon back when I was in uh, elementary school. I would watch NASCAR. And so uh, banning the Confederate flag that is that is huge um, because the presumption is that. Um, that that is a racist sport, but that's huge for them to say, no, we don't want that flag flying in, uh, in our venues and in our events. And whether you want to admit it or not, hey, the Confederate flag, Confederate monuments, Confederate statues are participation trophies. Uh, it, they, they just are. <laughs> and I don't get why people... 
I've 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 avoided people on Facebook. I've I've done a really good job avoiding the the trolls. Um, I've done a really good job of avoiding avoiding the social media trolls. And I say what I want to say, and it's not really to engage in conversation. It's to share my thoughts because Facebook says, what are you thinking? Um, but one of the arguments is it's history. Well, let's learn the history. The South was its own country. It seceded from the United States of America. It had its own president. It had its own whole bunch of other stuff. It lost a war. It is not a part of American history. It's probably part of the, the, the Confederate States or whatever they were called, but it's, it's not. That's what museums are for. Um, it, the, the stuff is disrespectful. You don't ever see any of the black generals or any of the, uh, not generals, black soldiers that died in the Confederacy. And you got to realize that most of those statues, most of that, most of those insignias, most of that stuff went up in the civil rights era. So it went up in the 60s after the uh, civil war because it was a reminder for southern protesters that while you might think you're free never forget that this is who we are literally that's why those statues are up and so i'm proud of nascar for saying hey it's not welcome here uh, locally if you're in columbia county there's a fight that's about to go down uh, <laughs> uh, over the alesti festival and some of the uh, stuff that's up here it's going to be a long uphill journey, but nevertheless, NASCAR did the right thing. And people that don't think these companies weigh the pros and the cons that don't have people who vet what they're about to do, you're crazy. They've already done the market analysis. They can already see um, what revenue stream they're going to lose. But NASCAR is going to catch new fans for doing this. Uh, Nike's going to going to. People said after the, they supported Colin Kaepernick, they'd fall off. Nike didn't go go study their stock. Uh, we ain't stopping shopping at Walmart. I don't care how bougie you are. And so it, it happens. And some people need to hire people who are better at the whole can this damage my brand thing. Let's talk about oncologists. So you got people like the guy out in Texas, Tom Herman, who's like, hey, Listen, uh, people in the stands cheer for these black athletes. They don't care about their background then. They they cheer for them on the field. They got to cheer for them off the field. <sighs> then you have a difference in misspeaking and being tone deaf. Um, let's take FSU versus Clemson. So that's just, if you don't know, I'm a Seminole fan. Uh, the way Dabo Sweeney has handled this whole situation has been atrocious. Dabo has become the ultimate talking piece i think in 2016 most stuff i say you can vet uh from some social media posts at some point but i um posted something about how i just didn't like how Dabo used mlk's quote i don't like when people use mlk's quotes anyway because if you ain't got the like three four hour cd of his speeches then then you ain't really listen to mlk and so Dabo really pissed me off a few years ago using the whitewashed MLK. And every time something comes up, all of a sudden Dabo is the voice we go to. And it's because we like the idea of people hiding behind their faith. 
and people hide behind their faith. They hide behind Christianity. And that is why you see the numbers in Christianity dropping off or the number of people who claim Christ or claim to go to church because there is this mask of BS of people who hide behind their faith when it's convenient. Um, and so Dabo hides behind his faith a whole bunch. And then when stuff like this happens, it's, oh, it's just football. It's just, no, it's not football. And especially not in the South, football is not just football. It is a well-oiled money machine. And Dabo Sweeney is a multimillionaire from, be honest, majority black athletes. Um, when he was about to get fired, it was the black athletes that rallied around him and all of a sudden turned the flip the switch for him at Clemson. And so even with his little football matter shirt, don't care how many times you wore it, don't care what you were saying, you took the picture, you saw the picture, you posted the picture, and you allowed the people to post the picture. This is one of those times when it's important to have the people around you vetting what you do. Now let's look at what happened with Mike Norvell over at Florida State. I do you think Mike Norvell misspoke. Mike Norvell sent a text to all his team members, all of his, all of his players. And I think it was a misstep and a misspoke. What's the difference in the way Dabo Sweeney and Mike Norvell handled the situation? When Mike Norvell was called out about it, he had a team meeting. He shut up. He listened to his players. He apologized, and he got it right. You haven't heard him talk about the issue again, and nobody's asked him about the issue again because he made it right. Dabo Sweeney, on the other hand, continues to dance and sugarfoot stuff. And so I don't care what wing you fall on, right wing, left wing, Fox, CNN. The media is the media. The media is extremely important in American history. It's part of the reason America is so strong is the media, no matter if you buy into it or not. But they are not going to continuously stick microphones in Mike Norvell's face asking him about this misstep. Because if you make a misstep in life, the thing about people and the thing about life is if you man up and say, hey, I did this, I messed up, I misspoke. That's the end of it. I've corrected it. People will leave it alone. It's the people that we can see that they've got paint on their hands and there's paint on the wall. And they continuously say, I just got the paint on the wall. I got paint on my hand because I don't know. I guess when I went to wash my hands, paint was coming out of the sink. Instead of saying, hey, I left the mark on the wall. And Dabo Sweeney is that guy who will never, ever own up to those things that he did. So I just... I think that people need to weigh what they're saying. And this is the time, and I said it a few pods ago, to shut up and listen. And we're seeing some companies shutting up and listening. We're seeing some companies get it right. We're seeing people like Starbucks completely butcher it, completely backpedal. Starbucks, who had a uh, barista or whatever they call, call the cops on having a black person removed for sitting there on their laptop it's starbucks that's what people do the only time i've ever been in a starbucks was to go and i was meeting up with somebody to help them with a project and we sat in starbucks we didn't buy coffee we didn't look the part but starbucks who has that typhoon sends out a document just just who is helping you who is vetting you who and this is where diversity is important because there's no way that there was 
a African-American or two African-Americans in the room when Starbucks drafted their letter and sent it out. There is no way that there was an African-American at the table when the president's team decided that they were going to have their first rally on Juneteenth in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the home of, of uh, the, the, the Tulsa massacre. There, there's no way that there were black people in the room that were allowed to speak because I've been there. I've seen there be black people in the room and they realize that their spot is just to sit on the wall. But there's no way you had somebody advocating for the other side of the room. And this is part of how we get to having systematic messes is not having people who can sit in the room and say, I wouldn't. Yeah, no, not going to go well. Uh, No, not going. Same thing with having women in the room. There's just I don't, I don't get that notion. These companies make millions and billions and trillions of dollars and they don't have one person in the boardroom that could say, hey, we don't know what we're talking about. Let's go find somebody uh, who might. But then I think protesting might have went a little too far because y'all canceled uh, one of my favorite shows, which is Cops. I've been watching Cops since I was a little boy. I didn't realize that that is where, I mean, I did realize it, not right away, but that was the term where wife beaters came from. So I was like, oh, I need a wife beater. And I didn't know what it was. And it was because every time you saw somebody, a man get arrested for domestic violence um, on Cops, they had on that, that A shirt. So that's where the term... Uh, wife beaters came from and i've always wondered how in the world it's crazy people cops aren't brutal cops don't do this this is not a uh, a stance against people that wear the uniform it is against the power that the uniform gives you to feel like you're above the law and so i've always watched cops i'm fascinated by cops just because you can watch cops and be like how the hell is that not police brutality how in hell is somebody not going to jail for doing that i have watched cops damn near 20 years 30 years however long i can remember and it's always been an episode it's like damn did they really have to sling buddy to the ground like are they doing that because the camera is there i've always wondered i've always wondered so i'm, I'm hurt by cops being canceled uh, moving on from that because uh, that might have been too much shout out to joey edge for counting my ums last week from the moment i said it i think he told me they were 43 i still owe him a cash app of 43 doll hairs. I'm not doing any better today. So, uh, but I'm not sending anybody no money today. On to the people's perspective. I don't know. I need somebody's help with naming that segment. So on the perspective, we're never going to run from people's comments or people's questions. And I appreciate the feedback. And so um, after last week's episode, one of my brilliant, brilliant, brilliant friends, um, who I've known a long time. She is a attorney. Um, she's in D.C. She's got a beautiful family. Um, I, I love her entire family. A, a, a great husband, two beautiful babies. Um, her mom uh, dressed me for a lot of times. She was the reason that uh, I always looked nice in a suit because she would tell me, her mom would tell me, uh, Anthony, that's not the one. And so she sent me this, and I want to read the text because I know that she is... Uh, articulate in her own way and i want to make sure that i navigate the conversation correctly so if you ever come up on something that you want me to talk about or you want to hear about uh, the perspectives door is open for uh, your opinion and your your view for us to have a essentially have a dialogue via 
what you ask in the podcast. So she said, I'm really curious to hear your perspective on COVID-19 and how it will affect protesters as a whole. You mentioned your fear in contracting it, but I think it's important to highlight that all the protesters are literally making the ultimate sacrifice right now. Right now, George Floyd's death, the numbers show. Ooh, child, reading out loud is not my strong tone. Right now, but right before George Floyd's death, the numbers showed that the virus was disproportionately affecting black Americans, especially those living below the poverty line. Now all of this is going on, going down, and very rightfully so, but this is literally the ultimate sacrifice in that protesters are willing to contract this virus in order to see a brighter future. I believe it is a small price to pay in a grand scheme of things. But giving some of the city's very limited resources in public housing, health care, etc. in the few weeks, the cases, if the cases spike due to protesting, could happen for a million other reasons. Thanks to some greedy politicians in our country, we may end up seeing the systematic oppression play out in waves of people getting sick with no aid, which will cause people to either retreat from their stance or get even more angry with the system as a whole. On top of all of that, you have a clown of a president who will probably start blaming the rise of the cases on the protesters instead of the fact that he insisted on opening up the country before it was actually safe to do so, which will cause even more anger to swell. Do you think that it will stall the, progr the progress or, in your opinion, do you feel like regardless of what is said or done, the movement will continue until real change is actually achieved? I personally think this is different than any other movement started after Trayvon. I think everyone is tired and ready for a change in our system from the ground up. However, I think the obstacles should be acknowledged. Whew, I really got to work on reading out loud. And I love having educated friends, but I can't read in real life. These big words, I struggle. So uh, let's get into it. It's a lot of, lot of pieces there. And let's talk about that. All right, so let's uh, hop into this. So... One of the things I had to personally ask myself was this, was how do I deal with the virus in the middle of protesting? And I haven't been afraid of, um, I haven't been afraid of me catching it per se, because I have the mentality that if I catch it, I'll just beat it. I, I get up and I go to work and interact with people there. But my fear has been taking it home um, or being around people I love or um, since I pastor, if something happened to one of my congregants, if I had to go over there after being in the street and the risk, you know, you put them in. And it's no different to me than any other risk that's aligned with protesting. Um, I have been called some of the nastiest stuff um, I have had people insinuate to me that they are carrying just in case I wanted to get loud with them um, doing the news thing, uh, being put on that front street. <laughs> um, some of the toxic sugar honey iced tea that I've kept back. 
and I still smile and wave and give a good God bless you. And um, so, so there are a lot of risk. Uh, I already had people before this come call my place of employment and say that uh, I was one of the biggest race baiters. I've had my um, social media investigated by the corporate office. I have um, everything short of death threats. I, I made sure to review my life insurance policy uh, with my wife, not because I'm some great um, leader, not because I'm some you know face of something, but because when you walk into a room and you can tell people, you know, sometimes people are like, ah, I'm trying to figure out where I know a person. But right now, people know where they know you from. And uh, some, of the, some of the groups where uh, my name and picture have been associated, uh, I, I tell you this, that uh, white supremacist groups are still very alive. I can tell you that the Klan is very alive. Um, I've had people inside of those groups call me because they know me um, and they've done business with me um, and, and they'll call and say, hey, man, you got you got the the folks riled up. And uh, my comment is I don't give a damn. I still don't give a damn. Um, and so people are, are risking that. I don't know where this notion is that everybody that's protesting is unemployed or don't have jobs or I hate seeing those tweets or go back to work and all that stuff. You're dealing with people who have jobs, very good jobs. Uh, <laughs> if y'all think that many people are unemployed, you're crazy. And so protesters are taken to the street because I shouldn't have the same odds of dying from a virus that is invisible that I do in my interactions with the police. And it's not an attack on, I've said it multiple times, on the person. It, it, it's the, the bravado that comes with, I got a badge and I'm bad. It's the bravado that comes of, I'm the person in the position so you'll respect me. It's, it's the bravado that, that's the enemy here, right? And so um, when, when you are protesting in the midst of this um I, I think i said it on last week's podcast that it's like when a firefighter knows that a building is burning and about to fall down but they hear a baby crying the firefighter is going back in after that baby and so you just make um a sacrifice is there going to be a spike is there going to be a second wave hell yeah it's it's already coming protesting has taken over the news but if you watch the corona numbers they are through the roof. Um, told y'all earlier, I just lost somebody to, to the virus. And so <laughs> the, 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 the numbers are spiking like crazy. Wall Street sees that the numbers are spiking. Um, healthcare professionals, there are already hospitals again. And because of the protests, they, we, we're not seeing it on the news, but there are already hospitals again at capacity. And the only country that is seeing it as bad or we are the only country that sees it, that's seeing the second wave already so bad. So what COVID is also is doing is exposing um, the healthcare system and from the standpoint of, hey, in a lot of these places where the b poor black and brown and white people um, live, 
that the the healthcare system isn't the greatest. You got to look at well, does a doctor want to work in hospitals that are understaffed, underfunded, don't have the equipment, and the area itself doesn't look nice? Um, and so it's exposed. I remember when this thing first came out. Black Twitter, if you don't know what black Twitter is, it is a thing. I love black Twitter. Um, black Twitter was like, oh, we can't get it. Oh, we can't get it. Oh, I ain't heard of a confirmed case of a black person yet. I remember us looking at Africa and being like, damn, this thing they hit everywhere but the continent of Africa. We're good. And then you get um, it spread in the black community through funerals. And <laughs> it took a few funerals for us to realize, hey, wait a minute. It took some church for us to realize, hey, wait a minute. And we already have a hard time getting um, health care or getting treatment. And so you're starting to see and you're going to see uh, the healthcare system be exploited to the fact that you genuinely can't handle something this big or as massive as it's going to get. And it's going to get even bigger as we open the economy because there's even more interactions people don't care about social distancing people that i was out last night and somebody was like all touching me in the face just because they're happy to see me love him to death good good guy don't touch me in my damn face um and those those are the type of things that are going to make this thing blow up even bigger and in the black community black folk men don't believe in going to the doctor Black men really don't believe in going to the doctor. That kills me sometimes when people are like, oh, well, you got to have an underlying condition. People from the coronavirus. I, and everybody that tells me that, that oh, you got to have an underlying condition. My retort is, when is the last time you went to the doctor to know if you had a condition? And they'll just look at me like I'm just got a third damn eye. Ask yourself that. For, for the men that, that uh, listen, when is the last time you went to the doctor regularly? Not not because you were so about to die that you had to go to the doctor. My wife and my mother in love, uh, they fuss at me because I don't go. And I'm fat. Hell, I'm probably 60 pounds overweight with all kind of diseases and stuff and that, that run in my family history. I got a bad damn heart. I don't go to the doctor regularly. I could have 10,000 underlying conditions. Wouldn't know it because I'm stubborn. And so in, in, in the African-American African -American community, we already don't go to the doctor. Let's be honest. We don't trust the doctor. We don't trust no pain pill. We don't want to deal with uh, uh, being strung out. We don't want to deal with the bills of it all because it's expensive as F to go to the doctor. So <clears throat> we don't have insurance. And so... To fight in the middle of this is a sacrifice. Now, if I were to die tomorrow from the coronavirus because I was out protesting and it meant that my nephews and my brothers and my sons and my cousins had a better life, I think I might be all right with that sacrifice. My wife wouldn't. Um, my mama probably wouldn't be. But people that are in the street aren't just thinking about them. They're thinking about the people like them who are afraid to say something. Um, and so is it a risk? Hell yeah. I don't think, I think the COVID will get lost in the shuffle. It's already lost in the shuffle. It's already being buried so that we don't talk about it.
But it's also going to expose the struggle in the healthcare system. You're also going to start to see stuff like housing because rent ain't about to be free no more. Rent due on first. And so you're going to see people who can't afford housing. Let me tell you, that's been one of the biggest tricks. People always wonder why the hood looked like the hood and don't know that in most cities, in most counties, what um, public officials did to keep African-Americans oppressed. This is how the hood started to look like the hood because the houses in the hood didn't always look like that. Well, most of the time, the only property that African-Americans receive is heirs, property, mama, grandmama, great-grandmama, granddaddy left a house. Do you know in most cities they change the housing code to make those houses not fit the code? Okay, cool. So the acreage or the amount of land it had to have or how many rooms or ACs and bathrooms, all that factors into going into a house. And so those houses in the hood and most hoods across America, they fit the old code and they don't fit the new code. The people can't renovate their homes because the moment you do as much as change a doorknob on that house, you have to make sure the entire house is up to code. So the hood looks run down. It was systematic. So what happens then after the hood is run down, people come in, big businesses come in, gentrified, and you leave an entire population without homes. That's about to happen again. Because rent due. Um, I, and, uh, let me not go on that tangent. Let me, let me not go on that tangent. Um, in that text, they brought up the president. Now, this was never supposed to be a political podcast. In fact, when I was running by proofs of uh, what the pod would look like, um, the pod cover, my friends were like, ooh, that one just looks too political. And I was like, yeah, no, that's that's not what we're going for here. And so I'm always going to respect the seat. Uh, people often think I wanted to run for president and never wanted to be the president. I always wanted to be the chief of staff. <laughs> and so... Um, I'm, I'm going to tread lightly there. Just told y'all I was investigated because people said that I was the most hateful voice in Columbia County when it came to race. That is a real true life thing that happened to me uh, about a month ago. And so I think that politicians are trying to protect their bank. They're trying to protect their seat. These people look at the districts and the constituencies that they serve and they try to speak to them. Real leaders are willing to upset the sheep sometimes if it means that you're protecting it from the wolves. But if the wolves got all the money and the wolves got all the power, you do essentially what the wolves say. Um, you you eventually you essentially do what the what the wolves say. And so, do I think we opened too fast? I won't. Uh, I'm one of those people that you let people choose if they want to go out, let them go out. But the way in which we handled the whole thing from the jump in the beginning has become an even bigger mess. And um, the people that we deemed essential, fast food workers. I don't know why y'all thought fast food was essential. I loved it. But they weren't essential. Most of the people, because we think essential workers are are the lawyers, are the doctors, are the nurses, are the cops. No, you got sanitation workers out there in the streets still risking it. The postman, they still delivered. Fast food workers still worked. And so most of those people that work in some of those positions, that sounded ass backwards, most of those people that worked in some of those positions, they were 
already below the poverty line, barely making it. So their hours got cut. They're working a minimum wage job to be essential. Nobody thought about them. Nobody really cared about those essential workers. We sang outside of hospitals and we thanked a nurse and we did all of that. But you didn't say to anybody to the person that's back there flipping your burger that's wearing a mask in a 90 degree kitchen about to choke um, literally because I've had to cook. Oh, that is miserable to cook wearing a mask. That is the most miserable thing in the world to stand over a grill and cook in a mask. Um, we, we didn't think about those people and we haven't thought about those people when we reopened. We haven't thought about the, their mental state, their physical state. We just haven't because the billionaire people or the white collar people had to get back to work. And some of them didn't even have to get back to work. They had to get their business open. Now, I get it if you're a small business owner and you aren't making any income. I get those concerns. But some of this was a rush. We, we're worried about being able to go watch live damn sports. I, I love uh, live sports more than anybody. Uh, maybe not more than anybody, but I love live sports. I love tailgating. I don't know many people that tailgate better than me. But that is what we're concerned about and not the long run. Hell, we just got sophisticated enough to realize that in beer pong, you probably shouldn't pick up the cup and drink the cup that's being drank on by multiple people and had grass and dirt in it. We just got smart enough to say, hey, let's drink out of our own beer and just pull the cup off the table. Now we want to have confidence in each other on cleanliness and and the way we value this virus in a public setting yeah so we open to make money i just uh, read an article one of the universities they uh, brought their college players back on campus they tested everybody they went to do the retest and four people have now tested positive when everybody got there nobody was positive now within a two-week span four people are positive this thing is going to blow up and we're going to blame the protest well and I'm going to be ready for it. I'm going to be ready to, to watch the tweets and talking about how Black Lives Matter did this or Black. But, and, and nobody's going to factor in that the first wave of protesters who will help do the spike are the people that were standing outside of uh, city halls and Capitol buildings with their guns because they couldn't go to the gym or get a haircut. So it will turn even more divisive. It will get even nastier when those conversations come up. You can bet your bottom dollar. Well, we're all back on punishment in December. Because we will go vote. You got to go vote. It, it, it will get very nasty, very decisive, divisive. You already see it with the RNC convention being moved to Jacksonville. Right? Because one governor said, yeah, we're not doing that here. That, that gathering is too large. Um. Our governor in the state of Florida is is opening the state wide open, trying to get the money. Some people say he's a puppet. That's not my place to say. I've, uh, I'm going to try to stay out of that political arena until we get a little bit closer to November. I'll give you all one a really good political podcast and call that a day. But this 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 movement is different. This time I told you I've, I've marched in several marches. This is young people. This is people that don't care. This is 
Young entrepreneurs that say that if I can't get the job from being in the street, I'll make my own job. These are people that aren't afraid of getting um, my wife and I just uh, applied for financing on a home. And the question came down to the questionnaire. Do you want to include your um, your ethnicity or whatever it was? Ethnic, ethnicity background or whatever she told me they wanted. And I was like, no, why? It's not going to change my odds. It shouldn't. And if we don't get it, we've been surviving. And and that's people's mindset right now. Even even the white people that are joining it will support each other. This is different. And if people think that, that people are just going to be quiet, thanks to social media and thanks to social activism, this one's different. This one's not going away. Your, your friends, however liberal you want to call them, however conservative you want to call them, white, black, this, this conversation isn't going to move. Because companies are going to be forced to change their policies because of public imagery. And the moment companies aren't keeping up their end of the bargain, you're going to see them trend. And nobody wants to trend for the wrong reason. Um, my friends have a, have a saying of, hey, don't be a mean when you're at a game and your team starts to lose because if the camera scans by you and you're doing something stupid and all of a sudden you're a meme all over social media. Companies don't want to become the meme right now. Nobody wants to be Starbucks. Okay. They will keep their lips tight and not say anything before they say the wrong thing. This, this, this one, this one, there are people who are willing to die for this one. Okay? There are people that were willing to die in the civil rights era. There are people that got bit by dogs and hosed down and put on fire. That's when people say, oh, protest peacefully like Dr. King. You know Dr. King was beaten down? It wasn't nice? That when they were peacefully protesting with permits that dogs were let loose on them? Water hoses, beat down, oh, it don't take it take all of that and, and more. The social structure has to change. And you have people now who are not afraid. We got an argument in the barbershop because dude said my generation ain't scared. And I said, well, our generation wasn't scared neither. But each generation builds off of each other to get to the top of the damn pyramid. And so if it means that me personally, I have to make people uncomfortable. I got to delete people. I got to unfriend people. I got to people. You're not speaking to me. Hell no, I'm not speaking to you. Your position is racist, is bigoted, is uneducated. Not might, might not be all of those. Might be all three of them. Now, if you want to have a conversation and come away, you don't have to completely agree with me. But if you can start to see the cracks in it, then we can move forward. And people that don't move forward with this will get left behind. You will be in the minority. Had a guy ask me last night, oh, you, how, how do you think the election is going to go? And I, I told him. Not even, it's, it has nothing to do with who the candidate is. And everything to do with people are about to flex their muscle. We will see who, who can lift the most weight. We're going to, we, America's getting ready to go out back and see who's is bigger. I don't know if I should say that on a podcast being who I am, but that's what we're about to find out about each other. Who's is bigger. And I wholeheartedly believe because normally you, you just issue a little money. No people are when, when you got bank of America, say a billion dollars, that ain't no play, play money. 
when these people are 20 and 30 and 40 million dollars to an issue because now it's an investment and one of the things i realized about investing is once you put your own money into things you gotta care and i don't know about y'all y'all might be rich but i'm not rich and most rich people i know they don't they want to know where every dollar every dime is they don't want to hear nothing about oh it's just no so this time is different, and this time people are going to be forced to put their money where their mouth is. And I'm talking, to, if your people in your circle won't put their money where their mouth is on this issue, cut them. If they start to talk about it and say, yeah, but, cut them. Leave them on the bench. Some of them have been starters their whole life. Put them on the bench. If they aren't willing to address the fact that they are at least uncomfortable by it and trying to figure out how to cut them. If they work around black and brown people and the majority of the people they work around are black and brown people and they can't have this cut them. Don't give a damn. Okay. So hopefully that answers uh, other question. I, I, I do believe that. Um. This time is different. Okay. So um, I want to correct myself. I said uh, that at my wedding, we sang Jesus keep me near the cross. We did not. We sang the blood that anyway, I'm not going to sing it. We sang uh, it would never lose its power. And we just celebrated our anniversary on the 11th. Um, I asked my wife. So one of the things I asked my wife was uh, what she had learned in the year. Every year I asked her what she had learned. She, she, she was like, oh, well, I learned she's still the same stubborn person or something. She said, she asked me what I learned, and I told her, I can't. I learned that I can't leave you because everything's in your name, and I don't even have a car. So <laughs> I had to correct that. Yeah, bought a car just because I realized I couldn't go nowhere without her. So no. Um. I wanted to get that corrected on the record because that was like one of my favorite parts of our wedding. And I can't believe that I uh, messed that up so bad. Told y'all that I was tired. Still tired. Still tired. And um, the next time we sit down to record, I would have been and said goodbye to uh, two people that I cherish dearly. And so it is what it is. Hey, next week. Yeah, we got a special guest. I am excited about that. Um, excited. Uh, first guest of the podcast. Really excited about who the guest is. Ain't going to tell you just yet. Um, but I think that it's going to be a really good podcast. That one will probably run long, too. But I promise that it will be thrilling um, and insightful. And it won't be uh, a whole bunch of political jargon. It will um, be a really, really good conversation and provide a whole lot of perspective. And so if you're still listening at this point, my dear friends, I just want to let you know that I appreciate you listening, that I appreciate you being a part of the perspective and that uh, I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. So until the next time we're together, peace.